My name is James Harleman, pastor at Refuge Church in Linwood, a co-host of Popcorn Theology and author of Cinemagogue. You're listening to the Local Youth Worker Podcast by Reformed Youth Ministries. One, two, one, two, three. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Local Youth Worker. I'm your host, John Parrott. I'm here with James Harleman. James, how's it going? It's going great, man. Having a great, had a great summer and looking forward to a great fall. Yeah, yeah, no, it's good to good to connect with you. Good to to see you to catch up to talk a little bit about uh, movies. Uh, we're going to talk about your well, I was going to say new book, but I guess somewhat new. So, Cinemagogue, the book some people may be familiar with, uh, was released in 2012. But there is a new edition coming out uh, at the time of this recording. I think it will release in just a couple of weeks, um, new title, Cinemagogue, the director's cut. Um, and and right. when, when, when is that released? Remind me. It's coming out November 23rd, uh, Wednesday, just before Black Friday. So the idea is if, if people like the book or, or maybe if they want a new edition or if they want to get one for a friend, it, yeah, there you go. It can make a nice stocking stuff for this year. There you go. Yeah, that's, that's some good timing there. Um, so on the other side of the break, we'll zoom in on Cinemagogue and just talk a little bit more about the book. But um, James, I love uh, talking movies. Um, I've And I just want to say on recording how much your ministry has meant to me personally. And just my own thinking about film and theology has been shaped by, by you and, and your ministry. So it's really, it's just fun to be able to get to, to talk to you today. And so I thought let's, let's just start with uh, the, the summer movie season. I know again, by, <laughs> by the time this comes out, it's going to be November. So we're a little removed from summer movies, but I'd love to just hear, okay, what were some of those movies that you enjoyed this past summer um, as well as maybe some of those you did not enjoy that much? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, uh, yeah, I was gonna say, talk about movies. Twist my arm. Um, <laughs> we uh, that's that seems to be a pretty pretty big staple of the Harleman household. And thankfully, I have a wife who, who loves movies too, so we often go together. And and oftentimes, then our the conversation after the movie is just as exciting and as mm. important as seeing the movie itself. But, that's right. Uh, to be honest, I had I had a lot of fun at the movies this summer. All things considered, I don't think we can get away with talking about uh, the movies this summer and not talk about Barbie and Oppenheimer. Right. <laughs> that's I mean, right. That's. And I've found things to like in both of them. And that's that's oftentimes the way I will phrase it. There's I, there are movies I just don't like. I mean, I think I think Fast X this summer, hmm. the, the Fast and Furious has sort of uh, gone off the road by, by this point <laughs> and, is, and should just be parked in the parking lot. <laughs> uh, how many times can you have the same theme of it's about family? It just I, yeah, I, I'm kind of over some of the franchises and some of the IP and, and even some of the Marvel stuff to a degree. But uh but certainly uh, loved. I actually found something to like in Barbie. I know it's a controversial movie. Mm-hmm. I know that that a lot of. I'm going to say a lot of conservatives are complaining about it. I, I honestly hear a louder voice from conservatives that aren't Christian. Hmm. And, I, and I think that Christians. Yeah, you know, I, I think if Christians go into Barbie looking for the things to sift, kind of like you know, kind of like do it, go you know, sift in for gold. Mm-hmm. Like there's some fun nuggets, like the fact that within the narrative itself, there is nothing but two genders. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Like there's like I, I know behind the scenes there's technically like like a certain actor inserted that's a trans. That's right. right. It's like here you have a movie that's kind of unabashedly. In fact, the whole point of contention is like the war of the sexes, right? Mm-hmm. You've got male and female, and biblically the movie doesn't have it figured out, but it recognizes that there's problems. It's mm-hmm. like right there, I think there's fertile ground for Christians to talk about and to take people to the movie experience and have conversations about, right? I mean, I, that that's my modus operandi anyway. Yeah. No, I think you're you're exactly right, and that, that's something. I mean, just pre-recording, I was I was sharing with you, and for those listening, um, I, I part-time teach uh, at a classical Christian school and um, teach a film and theology class, and was actually able to take a field trip with my students to go see Barbie. And of course, we were sensitive and told families they were not required to do this as part of the class if their conscience, you know, would not allow them, but. Um, I was amazed at the amount of conversation we had from that movie. I mean, it, it after we watched the movie, because it was a longer movie, uh, we had a, a separate class uh, to discuss, and it was mm. it filled the entire time. I ran out of time to talk about some of the notes I had down because students were talking, and it's just it's fascinating that a Barbie movie has created this much 
conversation and, and controversy <laughs> in, in the culture. But but I think you're right. There's a lot to, to sift there for sure. Well, I think there's things people miss. I think I, it happens to me, right? I mean, sometimes you're in a, I'm in a conversation with somebody and they say something I don't like and, and I, I stop hearing them after that point. Mm. And so this movie opens with that scene of, you know, like ch- children sort of you know, getting rid of their baby dolls, like 2001 a Space Odyssey and, and sort of smashing the baby dolls in favor of Barbie. And it's like some people got so stuck on that. They're like, well, obviously it's anti-motherhood and it's got to be anti, uh, anti-children anti and, and kind of and, and all about it. I said, well, you're missing the point because later in the movie, uh, the main character in the human world is, is a mother. Mm-hmm. And one of her main focuses is her daughter. Mm-hmm. And, and in fact, the daughter then accuses Barbie of ruining things. So if if Barbie was a replacement that we see happening at the beginning of the movie, there's actually quite an indictment of the mixed messages that Barbie herself brings mm. to women. Mm-hmm. And that's that's dealt with in the movies. So I, I love the muddle of the movie. And I love that it didn't answer questions because I think sometimes Christians want the movie to answer the question. And, and I, I never think Hollywood's going to get it right. So if they leave it sort of in a mixed muddle for conversation... That's about as far as I want them to go. Mm-hmm. If they try to give answers, they're usually, they're always wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I, I think you're exactly right. Yeah, yeah no, I mean, there's definitely there, there is a lot um, that that we can glean from it. There's a lot of depth, and it, even I mean, going back to you know the the beginning of the movie and not even the message of it. It's interesting how so many of my students didn't even know. 2001 a space odyssey they didn't know you know what that was and so for for that movie to kind of connect this generation to you know older cinema with stanley kubrick and and things Mm. like that is just kind of interesting um and so yeah i mean you and i would both agree that there's there's truth to glean and and uh positive messages that we we can uh, point to, I mean, just again, the, the two genders yeah. as all, as well as a mother and a daughter. What were some of those that were maybe some of the concerning themes uh, from the movie? Uh, anything that kind of gave you pause? Anything that you thought to push back on? Because again, I agree, there, there's so much questions that were raised in that movie yeah. and, and not some conclusions. But any thoughts there? Well, well, I think the ultimate sticking point for me was at the at the end of the day, it, it was sort of left up, okay, men and women are different and yet that then the, the solution was well men and di- men and women just have to go out as individuals completely on their own and separate from each other and figure out their identity for themselves mm-hmm. that's like well that that doesn't work because from genesis we see our identity comes from god mm-hmm. and designed in a complementary way to come together and so I, so it misses the mark in a major way at the end while while at the same time it's sort of sort of apologizing to to each other also and and, they, and i think some people even miss like barbie apologizes for being uh, exclusionary to the male and ken obviously went too far on on the masculinity front and and obviously the, the toxic masculinity that 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 the boy that the boys go to in that oh, movie yeah. is not the place you want to go <laughs> what surprised me was that this movie actually made at least in the eyes of many reviewers secular reviewers that made ken a, a sympathetic character yes he's wrong but he's reacting to sort of a this rejection of of healthy male masculinity that's been denied him and so there, yeah, so even in even in its flaws and its misses it's like man it's still circling back and and giving rise to curious conversations i think we can pick up on and say okay what what does biblical manhood look like because he didn't have it in barbie world <laughs> and he got the wrong message in the real mm-hmm. world so Again, like the movie never lands the plane, and so it kind of it totally misses the mark. But like there in the middle is where where Christians can come in and say, "Well, hey, there there's a tension in the middle and a nice balance we can talk oh, about." Yeah. Yeah, I th- <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I, I, I think you're exactly right, and it'll be interesting too. Just you know, as the years go on, just how this movie will be viewed and how people look back, and um, you know, it's even interesting, kind of thinking. I guess maybe meta from the the movie. Um, I was listening to uh, some unbelievers discuss the the film and how you know they were talking about the Oscars and most likely we're assuming mm. you know this will be nominated for best picture, best director, screenplay, probably actor, actress. Um, <laughs> and th- there was concern over uh, them praising Ryan Gosling's performance, but. They just said yeah. if he actually wins the Oscar, how that could be somewhat funny that they he was portraying kind of the lesser, uh, you know, in the storyline or whatever, and he might end up winning over Margot Robbie. And anyway, there's the tension there. It was yeah. just funny to kind of consider that. I thought, 
Yeah. Well, and the other thing that was really off the mark with Barbie was was obviously its portrayal of the real world. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, like I, I think that that part of the common current zeitgeist is to sort of miss all of the ways that, well, I I would think in many ways a Christian worldview in the midst of our nation throughout the decades has actually caused a lot of positive change. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at like like they they portray the board of Mattel as all male when actually it's it's half women, half men in real mm-hmm. life. Interesting. And and the whole idea that it's a man's world or a patriarchy, like if I, if I was listening to another, I was listening to an atheist, Bill Maher. He was talking about how, wait a minute, the the act. If you look at Fortune 500 companies, 45 percent of board, the boards of those companies are made up of wow. women. And so this this whole idea of this massive inequality really is not the way the movie the movie paints an inaccurate portrayal of of male female realities in the present day. So it's kind of it is a bit of odd propaganda that doesn't match kind of. The, the reality of male-female uh, relationships here in, in the 21st century. So, I, yeah, a lot of problems. Mm-hmm. That's okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's, I mean, you talk yeah. through them. Talk through them instead of avoiding them is kind of my, my answer for yeah, that. Yeah, no, I, I think uh, – Did you see Oppenheimer? I, I did, and I was going to say, yeah, let's um, – I know we'll take a break in just a little bit, but I'd love to, to talk about Oppenheimer. Um, that, that's one. I mean, I've been a – Christopher Nolan fan. I mean, really, I guess my introduction to Nolan was Memento. Um, and I remember mm. seeing that film and yeah. after I saw it, uh, with, I mean, my girlfriend, who's my wife now, uh, but girlfriend at the time, uh, when that movie ended, we spent 45 minutes talking through what just happened <laughs> because that, that movie was so, oh, wow. um, you know, just different in its in the way in which the story was told, and obviously tying in with the yeah. the characters' kind of short term memory loss. But all that to say, you know, then obviously the Dark Knight trilogy came along, and I was just kind of a, a Christopher Nolan fan, and so wanted to see this movie, and uh, was very impressed. It's one I haven't liked every Christopher Nolan movie that that's come out, but but I did enjoy this one. Um, what what did you think of it? Mm. I thought it was great. It really made me remember a classic film. One of my wife's favorite films is Amadeus, mm-hmm. and and in that movie you actually have uh, you have Mozart and Salieri, and it's really this contrast of two men and and one who obviously has the fame of the world in, in that era with his music, and another who feels overshadowed or or kind of wants that same level of prominence. And I, what I didn't know going into Oppenheimer was that it was it was going to be that contrast of the two men, Robert Downey Jr. playing playing this character who interacted and even felt slighted by 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 Oppenheimer and then this this sort of war of of the spotlight and how the public looks at you and and how you're actually feeling internally in those various stages and sort of pride and hubris and jealousy and it is just a great character study and and really a tragedy in a lot of ways which I know some Christians always like happy endings in their movies and I again I think a, a good tragic story or even what some people call a you lose ending uh, a, a less or a more open ending is is again where then I think the coffee conversation comes in and well what does that say about about me or about about human nature or or as we'd say the mm, sin nature right? right and all the ways that it can make us stumble and so so yeah I, again I, I loved Oppenheimer for that and it, it and for anybody who enjoyed Oppenheimer who hasn't seen the classic Amadeus it's one of those things too where oh yeah if Barbie pointed you back to 2001, Oppenheimer could point you back to Amadeus. You get exposure to, to some, some some different and, and older films, which are actually oh, really yeah. great. No, definitely. Um, and, and it's one of those, I mean, it's it's one I've only seen once, and I'm, go- I'm going to have to revisit because it's, you know, over three hours runtime. There's so, so much to unpack. Um, but, I mean, just kind of a, I yeah. don't know, just a, a big picture kind of compliment to the movie is, uh, you know, I could not imagine being a director and just the scope of that movie, but to tell that story in a way to where you're, you have some brilliant minds talking about science that blows our minds, but he can still communicate it in a way where mm. the average moviegoer can kind of track yeah. and follow along. Because, I mean, there were definitely points where I was confused and, you know, with the pacing of the movie, it moves fairly quick and that's the thing of how, how do you make a three-hour movie talking about science not feel boring and kind of go by quickly um so yeah it was just it was impressive what what he accomplished with that um where would you mm. kind of i mean in christopher nolan's work of movies where would you kind of rank oppenheimer i mean has it been out long enough to kind of analyze it in that way is it was it one of your favorites that he's put out 
Well, I feel like there's two Nolan, two Christopher Nolans, right? There's the Christopher Nolan I love that produces these in, incredible action pieces, not just the Dark Knight trilogy, but I, I enjoyed Inception and Tenet. And, and then there is the more, there's this other side of Nolan that has a, a, a little more pulled back, memento, thoughtful, deep, uh, provocative stories. And I mean, Interstellar and, and, and those that are just, and, 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 and there's a little, there's, there's, maybe there's a spectrum, but as, as, you know, as a comic book guy growing up, mm. Batman, his Batman films are always going to sort of war for center because it's both Nolan and his masterpiece and one of my favorite oh, yeah. characters. So, uh, but, but I can't admit, I, I, my friend David, he was like, you know, I love the Dark Knight films, but he, he like Inception is his favorite. My, one of my co-hosts on Popcorn Theology. And, and he, uh, I was like, ah, boy, I, I, I'm sort of, I'm sort of split. Uh, I would probably say Oppenheimer is it's got to be up there is on the non Batman side of things. It probably is going to be in, in kind of like probably the top three. Uh, but you're right. It is it is early. Sometimes I need to let mm-hmm. a movie settle for about a year or, or 18 months before I can really place it. <laughs> in yeah, that's, its right. Category. that's right. That's right. No, I know we yeah. could, again, since the movie is close to three hours, we could go on uh, talking about this. And I do, I do want to no. tell our listeners, um, as you've referenced Popcorn Theology, uh, you do have some longer conversations on Barbie. And, and didn't you have one on Oppenheimer yeah. as well? Is that right? Okay, I, th- I thought yeah. you did. And yeah, so yeah. Um, I'll put some links to the show notes to those and encourage our listeners, if they want some more conversation there, to, to go check that out. Um, but as I said, you have a new edition of your book, Cinemagogue, that is releasing soon. Uh, so let's take a quick break, and we'll be back more to talk about that. Hey there, this is Brent Corbin, Executive Director of Reformed Youth Ministries. If you're listening to this podcast, you are likely either a youth worker or a volunteer with youth in a church, or maybe just a parent with teenage kids of your own, and you no doubt have found yourself wondering, why is this so hard? What is it about youth that makes my job feel like it's never-ending and I just can't quite figure it out? Well, if that's you, we want to invite you to our Youth Leader Training event in January in Nashville, Tennessee. At YLT, we will explore all kinds of topics surrounding ministering to youth these days. How best to do it? What does the Bible have to say about it? How do we philosophically think about the work and the task that the Lord has put before us? So please come and join us. Go to our website, rym.org training. And from there, you will see everything that you need to get registered. And bring a friend with you. And if money is an issue, please don't hesitate to reach out. We want as many of you to be there as possible to benefit from this important training event. Take care and we hope to see you then. James Harleman talking about all things movies and talking about his uh, new addition to Cinemagogue uh, that we're about to dig into. But I know we were just talking about summer movies on the other side of um, this break. But uh, what about some other maybe summer movies that you would recommend before we get into some of the contents of your book? Yeah, I mean, it was a bad summer for movies at the box office. And I think some may have gotten overlooked or just didn't. I, I think there's fatigue with some of the franchises and different things out there. So I know other than Barbie and Oppenheimer, a lot of things didn't really make their money back. And I would say it's worth going and checking out a few movies that came out this summer. First of all, uh, Sound of Freedom, kind of obviously, is is a pretty big splash that surprised everybody on the Christian, uh, or at least more faith-based front. Mm-hmm. I, I would say go see it just to see how Christian movies or more faith-based movies can be done right Mm -hmm. because i I feel like this movie didn't feel like it preached it felt like it dealt with its subject matter and had characters of faith without without seeming like like i'm I'm a preacher right i write sermons i don't write screenplays and there's a big difference and i think this this film got it right we got a story instead of a sermon masquerading as a story interesting see that's one obviously i heard about it and i did not get to go see it but i've heard other Christians who I trust say that the quality was was solid, and so yes, yeah. just kind of see aesthetically just um, what was on the screen uh, to appreciate it. That's good to hear. Yeah, uh, a, a haunting in Venice is the new uh, Hercule Poirot film with Kenneth Branagh, and I love that movie because it, it's it's a character who has lost their faith, who is confronted with the question: you know, it is the is, is there a realm beyond the material world and it, does it exist? And so for all, it, it's kind of a classic whodunit, but it's actually asking this bigger question about life after death and the afterlife. 
it doesn't give you a Christian worldview, but it great, it's great conversation. Yeah. And, and we kind of get the same thing in a small moment in, in Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Mm. Like, I think for the first time, Marvel acknowledged the afterlife and, and a character a character who's very upset about their, their essentially their father or creator in the material world and feels as though he's been wronged in the way he's been made. Or, the, or that his his maker is wrong, and and this kid literally kind of dies and seems to be in this heavenly place, mm-hmm. and someone re, and, and is reassured by another character, right? It's it's not the the hands that quote unquote made you; it's the hands beyond and above the hands. Mm-hmm. Like they're basically acknowledging a creator, acknowledging a maker that is that is heavenly and has purpose for you. I was like that. That's just a great little moment. That is. And here you have this wrestling with things beyond the material world, which a lot of movies don't do. Mm-hmm. No, I, I agree. And I did not get to see the, the haunting in, in Venice. Um, but I did get to see uh, Guardians 3. And, you know, it was definitely, I, I enjoyed it. Um, it was more of a somber movie than, the, say, the previous two. Um, definitely, uh, yeah. there was a weightiness to it that I felt. Because, you know, it seems like the first one came out and it was such a huge hit. And I think the comedy was such an aspect of it that people just resonated with. And to me, this one had some comedic moments for sure, but there just was a, a seriousness to it um, that I felt like was a little different from, from the others. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was, it was a good one too, a yeah. good way to kind of close out that, that trilogy. Um, and again, too, it's uh, just talking about summer movies. And as we're getting into to Cinemagogue, I'm just being reminded. Um, so years ago, I, I stumbled on to, to your work through your film and theology that you would uh, do. I guess this is before podcasts. So I don't even think it was technically a podcast at that at that time. Is that right? When you were doing film and theology, would it be? Yeah. It was, oh yeah. It's some manner, way, shape or form. I've been doing film and theology since 2001, yes. which is kind of crazy to think about. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, at that time, I think we were just experimenting. It's like, okay, we recorded these audio presentations and we'll just put them on the website. Like nobody was we didn't use, nobody used the word podcast. Sure. <laughs> it was just, it was just audio on our website. Yeah, right? yeah. And so I was doing youth ministry at the time and I'd stumbled upon these, you know, film and theology uh, recordings that you had uh, done. And I just decided, okay, this summer for our students, we were going to do a film and theology summer. And we were going to kind of get this worldview, just kind of uh, basics communicated to students and then also engage with film. And so, um, for our listeners, you can hear just as you went through those those three movies, how, how you're just weaving theology into the discussion and allowing us and helping us see um, that th- there's more to the, the the movies and just, you know, sitting there and just um, consuming that there's truth behind uh, the screen in, in so many ways. And so um, anyway, just grateful for your work with that. And then uh, Cinemagogue. Uh, so you released this in 2012. And I'd love for you as we're getting into the new edition that's coming out, maybe just talk to us uh, about the origins of this, the origins of the title Cinemagogue. Where did that come from? And then the origins of this book, uh, putting pen to paper. Um, Just uh, walk us through some of that. Well, if I was if if I remember correctly, it was Martin Scorsese and and a couple other famous directors who who were kind of quoted as talking about cinema being the modern day Mm. church. That for a lot of people who didn't grow up, it's it's sort of now in a post-Christian era. Where, like we're not going to church, but we're we're having this assembly, this gathering, and we all huddle together. And I think nowadays, I think it's best crystallized now by that Nicole Kidman intro thing at AMC theaters. If you go in there, we come to this place for magic. We come to AMC theaters to laugh, to cry, to care, because we need that, all of us. That indescribable feeling we get when the lights begin to dim. And we go somewhere we've never been before. Not just entertained, but somehow reborn. Together. Dazzling images on a huge silver screen. Sound that I can feel. Somehow, heartbreak feels good in a place like this. Our heroes feel like the best part of us, and stories feel perfect and powerful, because here, they are AMC Theatres. 
we make movies better. Right. You can find it on YouTube too. It's Nicole Kidman opens up like this is why we come to movies. We we come to have this sense of being transformed and transported. Mm-hmm. And as she says, like as we experience the the hardships and sufferings of, of these characters, we're reborn. I you're, you're literally talking about movie going as an experience where the, the Greeks called it catharsis, right? So your emotions kind of get purged through the artistic experience, and and so it's like well. well Christians call that worship, right? We gather every Sunday and we celebrate someone who suffered and died for our sins. And through him, we have real rebirth. We have new birth. And and we go home not just satisfied by a story that's fiction. It's, it's the greatest story. And so it's like, well, yeah, I mean, people are supplementing with cinema. And, and I was from 15 to 25. So it's like, well, cinema was my church for about 10 years uh, walked away from faith of my father and and spent 10 years, but I was still basically worshiping. I mean, it, it, think about it. Even some of the characters we like in our films, we call it hero worship, right? It's like, no, it, it really is. And so it, it was like, okay, so, and, and well, so I was looking for a catchy title or uh, something for our website. And it's like, well, you know, obviously like back in Jesus's time, where did you go to worship? It was the synagogue. So I was just like, okay, well now, now we have the cinema gog instead of the synagogue. We have the synagogue, and and I kind of started to write the book, kind of in a way just to sort of under. I mean, honestly, some things start maybe in a more of a narcissistic place. Sure. It's like I'm trying to understand mm-hmm. myself and what that decade was about, and so I, I wanted to write this this book, and and I realized with film and theology, well, it's also helping Christians to use and spend and see that time in a different light. Because I was taught a very dichotomous thing growing up, right? It's like I have my when I was done with my church and my spiritual time, it's like I get a break from my movies. So it's like, well, that that doesn't fit First Corinthians ten thirty one. Says says I'm supposed to do everything for the glory of God. So so I had to figure that out. Like what? Even my dad, who is a wonderful pastor, is like movie movie time was just sort of a distraction, uh, like a like a piece of candy you get after you've had your meat of spiritual time. It's like what? That doesn't just seem right. That doesn't seem to fit scripture. And so so it was really trying to then it was understanding myself then it was helping christians then i realized some of those christians were aspiring to get into the industry so like oh yeah well there's also if you're going into that medium how how can we write and talk about how to do that too and and then and then i found out i I didn't even know one guy started he was a member of our church for a few years he's like you know i first came to this church because i heard your film Mm. theology podcasts and i was an atheist but 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 something resonated there it's like oh wow there's there's evangelistic potential Mm -hmm. here so it so it wasn't that I was a mastermind and figured out, oh, I, I know everything and this is what it's for and this is what it'll do. I, it was a learning experience. I think even in writing the book, it's like, oh, this isn't just for educating Christians. This isn't just for educating aspiring artists. This isn't it, non-Christians too. Like this topic really has to impact and speak to to everybody where they're mm-hmm. at, um, whether they know Jesus or not. So, so that kind of led to it. So, and then, of course, you get in there. You try to talk about all the good things that can come of it. You have to deal with the objections, sure. like because Christians have a lot of objections. <laughs> um, yeah, well, uh, what about but what about horror and what about like certain mm-hmm. content? And so, well, so the, I wanted to present a very positive engagement view in the first half of the book, but then in the back half of the book, I deal with okay, what what are the common sure. objections? What what are the things that even in my mind, it's like, wait, is this right? Should we be doing this? Should we be watching that? I, those are important questions to ask too, and and try to deal with them deftly and maybe maybe a little bit differently than Christians have often just preached oh, yeah. about them. No, so. for sure. And I'd, maybe uh, we'll have some time to dig into some of those um, common ob- objections. I mean, even as we talked about Oppenheimer, I mean, there's obviously a scene in Oppenheimer that's been been discussed. Um, yeah. So, yeah, as I'm, I'm thinking too, I mean, some similarities from, from your story to, to mine. I mean, I can just remember being young and loving movies, um, but then seeing just a disconnect, you know, here's my church life, Christian life, and then movies are over here. And I think I first stumbled on Brian Gadawa's book, Hollywood Worldviews. And I started to read that and thought, okay, Mm. this is, this is exactly what I've been looking for. And this is, you know, where I'm appreciating so much about film, but I'm also hearing Christians critique it. Here's a a thoughtful Christian that's kind of helping me think through that. So I, I definitely just hear some similarities there. And so, Maybe kind of into mm. into your own story. I mean, you saying kind of walked away from the faith for a little while, um, but your your church was movies. Maybe just kind of briefly walk us through that. I mean, I know we're, we're talking about 
years of your life, but kind of briefly walk through, okay, where did, where did the connection come back to, you know, Christian faith and, and movies kind of meeting uh, together? Well, yeah, that was definitely, I, I think I, I came back to faith in a good, uh, good decade for movies. It was actually the late nineties, okay. right? There, there was a lot of paranoia in the late nineties about Y2K. And, and so a lot of movies were kind of apocalyptic or end of the world or just something really shaking up the status quo. And so there, there was a couple of movies that came out in the late nineties. So, uh, first, uh, but uh, the big one was the matrix, right? Like everybody, like, I, I don't think anybody watches the matrix, whether you're, uh, uh, atheist, agnostic, Christian, Buddhist. I mean, like you, you watch that movie, you're like, okay, this. I can't deny that this movie is grabbing at some major spiritual oh, yeah. themes in, in a variety of ways, no matter how you would interpret it. And and so everyone was talking about that, and that that was I had just started to come back and and attend church again, a, a, like a year before it came out. And so as a movie lover who was starting to see if he if he actually had and truly believed in God. I was like, I came out of this movie so excited. I was like, well, this this movie is undeniably paralleling a lot of things, it, both the the conversion experience of Neo, a, a literally a new birth and baptism. It was like visually shown in in this metaphorical and sci-fi way, and then of course it it pivots like like too many stories do. They they go from a conversion story to to making that person mm-hmm. the Christ figure. Uh, so, you know, same thing. Yeah, that's that's what usually happens in a lot of these movies. Which which is again, that's that's not the gospel. Uh, Jesus didn't uh, get converted or or not know who he was. All right, but so you got two stories kind of smushed together in that movie. You have the savior character, and then you have the the convert. But I was so excited, I went to talk to my pastor about it, and he literally looked at me, and I'm, I'm babbling like a fool. Well, I I think I'm babbling like an excited person yeah. who's seeing these connections, and and he's like. He'd seen the movie too, but he was just like, "Oh, I, I just watch movies for entertainment." And I like, I literally, I think my jaw was like, "Yeah, the coyote in the old <laughs> cartoons, just wah, just like dropping down." Like, I was like, "What? How can a minister say that?" Like, what? I and I think at that age, I I wasn't sure what all was wrong with that mm-hmm. statement, but I kind of felt like maybe God or the Holy Spirit put on my heart. It's like I, I think I want you to spend the rest of your life unpacking all of the ways that falls short. <laughs> <laughs> and so that, that that led to like okay like, yeah what what does entertainment even mean you know like that and that's one of the first things i do try to cover in the book like we toss that word out but to entertain actually means like entertainment goes back to when you'd have somebody into your par- the parlor of your home you'd, you'd bring somebody in and you would have a conversation with them and entertain mm-hmm. their ideas and like you were receiving something into your home or into your mind and your inner so like enter, that that whole watching for entertainment that that falls flat because entertainment means to mm-hmm. actually engage and so it's like well yeah there's so many things so many ways that that's wrong for the christian or even just for good grammar um <laughs> and so it's like I, so that that was one of those things and i i, I was i was probably going to be an english lit major and not go into yeah. ministry so I, I i english literature and 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 fiction and and i probably i might have tried my hand at screenwriting or or mm-hmm. something else if that that would have been i would have been a great failed writer or something like that but <laughs> uh, starving artist or but but god had other plans and so like he steered me kind of into this different direction and and so i still have that same passion for cinema and storytelling but he just redirected it and that that's kind of what makes it really exciting for me it's like what well, it's, and that, that's something I think I, I learned this from a few different uh, pastors and teachers over the years. It's not a new concept, but it's like in, in everything in the world, like there's things we need to reject, things we need to, we, things we can totally receive because they're in line with scripture, and then things that we can redeem. And I, I'm so glad God was able to, to redeem what, what for a while was certainly an, idol, an idolatry. Like my uh, cinema for me was an idolatry, but it didn't have to go completely. He actually was able to redeem it and and allow me to to actually walk through and have conversations and leverage it for good purposes. And that that's kind of that. But but every movie too, I think that's we always I always tell people to employ that. Like when you're going to see a movie, really you got to reject some ideas. You can receive some ideas, and maybe there's some distorted ones like that that neo one, where you can kind of redeem it and and say, oh, I, there's 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 a muddled message in here, but I can redeem it and find where i could use it as a parallel for the gospel uh, pastors do it all the time with sermon illustrations i think teaching our 
teaching disciples of Christ who are just in in the pews or in the chairs or or whatever it is, uh, teaching them to be able to do that. It's going to be way more productive for conversations in a a kind of post-Christian American culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's well said. And I can remember, I mean, going back to the, the point about entertainment, uh, how your book opened my eyes to that of, oh, yeah, that we're even using the word wrong <laughs> when we say, I oh, just watch it for, <laughs> for entertainment. And uh, just, yeah, how that's a yeah. word that we as Christians need to really recapture. And um, and so, okay, you wrote this book again back in 2012. Um, you, you deal with so many just themes of movies and content and things like that that we'll talk about in, in just a minute. What what was it that made you want to release a second edition? What was it when you looked back and you saw this book that you wrote in 2012 um, that made you think, okay, this, this needs some kind of update? What, what was it about that? Oh, that, that's a fair point. Well, I think after a decade of listening, I realized that, like, there were a few places I bunted on and, and didn't mm. really, I think I failed to address well a few issues. I mean, even just as I have grown in my ministry, I th- things like sexuality and nudity in film. They mm. talk about the Oppenheimer moment mm-hmm. we were just talking about in the suburb movie. Well, there's so much more to that. You think about it. It's like, okay, there, there's the person who might go and sit in the theater and view it. But it's like, oh, now I'm I'm actually getting to know people who are, behind the okay well, what about the director what about what about the screenwriter mm-hmm. uh is it is it like where where does that fall or what about the director or, or what about i i had literally had a couple um come to me and and they're like well i just got just a, the fiance got cast in a role but she was expected to do this sex scene and I, well mm-hmm. man there's there's so many different facets to this like okay what what is it okay for somebody on that side of the camera to do? Hmm. Like, and, and you think about it, like as actor, as aspiring Christian actors, I mean, it, it's not just about a sex scene. It's should I be locking lips with and yeah. and having French kissing scenes with someone who isn't my spouse? Like, you're is that like, uh, those are the questions that have been coming to me over the last decade, and so trying to trying to get a more comprehensive view that was one of the big ones. I, I definitely fleshed out the the whole chapter that deals with kind of, kind of some of those objections and mm-hmm. try to, like, well, here, here are some guardrails, you know, think through these questions. And I, I do think there are freedom and conscience issues that Christians are always going to disagree on, but trying to, trying to create at least a couple guardrails between those freedoms of, okay, we know these things are inviolate from scripture and, and kind of define that a little more crisply and answer it a little more definitively. So I, I try to come up with, uh, more answers or at least more thoughtful questions for people. I, I need to ask this question of myself before I go. Mm. Um, because we're all at different Christian maturity levels too. That's right. Like there's, there's not, on a lot of these things, whether it's violence, or, 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 gore, right? You think about all the, or even just action movies. I was, I was talking with the great uh, aspiring young filmmaker. We had him on the podcast and, and he was talking about, you know, it, He's he actually made some horror stuff, mm-hmm. so he's done some horror short films, and and so he the questions he gets from Christians are well, don't you think that stuff glorifies violence? And like he's like, not, I think action movies and more like action movies where people are punching and kicking, like death almost has no no weight, gravity, or consequence. Mm. Like you think about some of the action movies, even the Marvel movies, you like, like people are dying all over <laughs> in the. At, it, it it's almost like yay we don't really think about it or care whereas in a horror movie a lot of times that that death has a punch mm. like, it's like it has more gravity so it's like I, it's like i'm more concerned about people being desensitized by by the action movies where where john wick's just taking people out right <laughs> and left you know it's like there there's no weight or gravity to those to those deaths so yeah. it's like oh yeah we we don't think about there are different ways we need to think about all those questions before we get to to, to what we actually think or actually choose to do in watching those films. Cause that right. Right. The John wick movie could be far more detrimental to somebody's heart and health spiritually than, than maybe some horror movies. It's like, Oh, I, I need to think differently. And so I, I realized there are places where I didn't flesh those things out. I also real a decade of film had come too. So there was uh, some other great quotes, mm-hmm. references and reviews. I wanted to jam into the book so that it, people who've only been alive the last they were just becoming teenagers can actually recognize a few of the films in the book mm-hmm. and hopefully be motivated to go see some of the classics sure. too. Yeah. Well, no, I just, yeah. I've not gotten to read the, the new edition yet, but I applaud you for trying to wade into these difficult waters because 
I mean, it does. Like you say, there's there's um, Christian liberty here. There's you know consciences, and and everyone's different in terms of struggles, temptations, things like that. And so it's it's hard to draw lines in in, in some areas of this discussion. And so just applauding yeah. you for trying to wade into that difficult area and and try to to help Christians because yeah it's you're, you're going to receive pushback you're going going to receive people who disagree um and even like you said uh, not just what's on the screen the the behind the scenes of uh, actors who are trying to to pursue a career and yeah. and all of that um so I, I would maybe digging into this a little bit because I know nudity is such a um, an issue that I mean, Christians, we, we need to be sensitive to. We need to be uh, aware of in film. I mean, talking about this Oppenheimer um, scene that we continue to refer to, because you and I, as we both said, we enjoyed the movie. It's a great movie. Um, I mean, me speaking personally, you know, just looked away in that moment. Um, what's some counsel you'd give to Christians on? I mean, if we want to use this specific example in Oppenheimer of just questions to be asking things to be considering, um, any thoughts you have there for this specific example? Well, I think that we, we're in a world now where we have great things like, you know, the internet and movie database, IMDB often has great content. I know some Christian websites will have content sort of filters. Mm-hmm. And I, I know sometimes for, for sort of movie purists, it's like, well, I might get spoilers. It's like, well, it, it, it's important that we, you should know the content you're going to engage mm-hmm. before you that might be troubling from a Christian perspective. First, first of all, if you don't, I think there's there's a misconception to where I, we, we have a, a different relationship than I think many different generations of mankind have had with nudity, particularly in America. And and that's where, like even in the Old Testament, like, like some people would be, a way that people were shamed in fact for adultery mm-hmm. would be they, they would be sort of stripped in the public street. That's right. And so... That was a shame for them. It was not a stain for the person who may have been walking down the street and uh, now they've observed it, mm-hmm. right? You're not inherently stained by seeing those things. And that's actually, I, I've learned that's something Christians actually think, oh, I saw that now. Like I'm, I'm inherently stained or bad for my eyes having seen mm-hmm. it. It's like, well, that, that's actually not, not biblical. Like what my, what my retinas and then going back to my brain and then my thought life does, that's where it begins to come into question. Mm-hmm. And so... So if you go to a movie, you didn't know it was going to be in there and it's there. It's like you, you you can do your best to train your eyes, but you're not somehow stained from it. And I think that's that's where some Christians feel a sense of guilt that that isn't coming from the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And it, when those eyes linger and lust, well, certainly now we've got a big problem. Um, and and so in this case of Oppenheimer, like I, I, I actually think that they were gratuitous and unnecessary in the way in, in early moments. So there's several several mm-hmm. moments in the film, but just there's all these topless moments and kind of exposed things for this actress, which which honestly many actresses were beginning to see in Hollywood. And I, I discussed this a little bit in the book. Like they're they're starting to come out. Like I you know, I was talked into these things, but I wasn't comfortable. Mm-hmm. So you gotta think like you're and so like even like understanding they're they're probably being abused they're being abused at that mm-hmm. point. They're being talked into doing things which or or they're they've been made comfortable by culture and are willing to do those things, and that that's a sad and a tragedy. So that, our minds should probably be there in that moment. Like we don't need this. She doesn't need this. This actress doesn't need this. This isn't helping her in any way. And and where I think then there was an effect, what I call an effective use, was later when there's a moment where the wife sees uh, sees an image of this betrayal. It's portrayed a bit graphically, although actually things were a little bit carefully subdued as far as what was being shown Uh, there. I thought it was still a little more gratuitous than it needed to be, but I understood artistically why it was happening. And I think it, it could have been done in a, an even more tasteful way. Um, But again, like there are some descriptions and depictions in our Bible of some very graphic uh, sexual things. And I think, and I talk about it in the book too. There's a difference between visual and written. I do mm-hmm. think that that is a very real thing, especially when you have a real person and it's not an illustration or animated. And so like all those things we need to be aware of and it's problematic, but I, I haven't been stained by seeing it. And I think it's healthy for a certain segment of Christians to be aware of those things in the culture. In fact, can't even put the content there unless one of us has seen mm-hmm. it. Uh, 
but making sure as Christians we don't we don't over over endorse or push people to see things that they don't need to. There's there's plenty of ways to see edited material nowadays. Mm-hmm. There there are platforms and things that will edit and making Christians feel guilty for not exercising their freedom. We have a lot of verses against that in our scripture mm-hmm. as well. And so I, I think there's that flip side where culturally we've come uh, we've come from a very a culture of oh I, I can't hear cuss words or see nudity and and I or too much gore to almost uh, the pendulum kind of swung over that way. And I think maybe in, even in the first edition of the book, I may have supported that. I, I may have gone a little and said, well, I, I want to make sure I bring it back and give more cautions because like sexuality conveyed, I think sexuality can be conveyed in film without sex scenes or even full nudity. Mm-hmm. And it can be equally tempting, equally problematic. And so simply avoiding the quote unquote, oh, nudity, sex scenes, like that doesn't make, that doesn't make me holy. Mm-hmm. Like there, there could be a scantily dressed woman, or simply a, a skin tight dressed person that could make a man or woman have just as much problematic things. So I, like recognizing that that, recognizing that those dangers are there. Like there's there's no place that's safe, and so, uh, so just because Oppenheimer has has more skin exposed doesn't like there are plenty of there are plenty of action films again with. Uh, uh, spandex wearing women that are probably more provocative to young, a young mind than a couple quick scenes in Oppenheimer. That's that. That's right. Juxtapose like, well, like I can't condemn Oppenheimer and have uh, superheroines and superheroes running around with their shirts off <laughs> or Thor getting, yeah. Know, or, or getting a bum shot in the latest Thor movie like that. Like let's not forget about those things, which, which is inciting a little more uh, lust or temptation. Mm-hmm. I, I would probably say not Oppenheimer in that case. There's probably a lot, a lot more happening in Marvel movies, to be <laughs> yeah. honest. No, I think that's that's really well said. And I just want to, again, thank you because I, I feel like this is something that many Christians don't wade into to try to discuss and be thoughtful about. And, of course, in this conversation, I, I mean, it's uncomfortable and uh, there's a lot of gray area, but but it's something. I mean, as Christians, what we need to be more thoughtful in. And again, that's I mean, your entire premise of Cinemagogue and just what you're doing is to to be thoughtful viewers of what we're seeing on the screen. And if that's the case, then that means we we need to be thoughtful about the the content that um, we may be watching. That, like you said, is is less explicit. And being cautious there, um, because I totally agree that uh, there doesn't have to be any nudity, um, and the way someone's depicted on screen can uh, cause a viewer to lust. And so I think for too long we've, what we as Christians have accepted, kind of the, if we want to put it this way, that the PG thirteen material um, instead of the, the R, and just kind of yeah. been okay with with that. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, James, I'd be curious too as you've. You know, you, you've written this book over years. You've uh, been speaking on the, the topic of, of film and theology, and just some of those common kind of the, the pushback and the, the critique. Um, you know, I would assume content is going to be kind of at the forefront. Uh, but then I, I know there's some who just think, you know, movies yeah. altogether we should abstain from and um, maybe not uh, be viewing uh, anything. But, but just yeah, just curious through the years, some of the conversation and the, the questions and critique and pushback that, that's come up. Mm. Well, you know, the the first place a lot of Christians will go and, and, and it makes me smile a little bit just. And so I, I, I don't mean to offend any of our listeners, but uh, but a very easy place people go real quick is Philippians four eight, right? That's that's mm-hmm. the first sure. place for for any content they don't like. Maybe it's somebody who doesn't like violent war films, or maybe it's uh, anti horror films, or or maybe just specifically things like I mean, obviously films like The Exorcist or The Conjuring are ones that deal with the supernatural or demons, right? They're like, well, wait a minute, Philippians four eight clearly says whatever's true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable. If there's any excellence, anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And and I love that they use that verse because it creates a wonderful conversational opportunity. Because on the mm-hmm. face of it, it seems like, well, okay, that I might be able to think of that in terms of, well, I must jettison any and all viewing material that, that doesn't match those words. But it's like, well, wait a minute. That Philippians 4.8 is sandwiched between verses 9 and verses 7. It, it's sandwiched between an experience of the Apostle Paul 
And the Apostle Paul says right after that, he says, what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. It's like, well, Paul's writing that from prison, right? That he's writing it from a place of suffering and, and enduring horrors and shipwrecks. And like it, it his story is not uh, lovely. It's, it's, and the people and experiences he's been around aren't pure. Like he's actually kind of in a place of at, at least a survival adventure movie, if not a little bit of horror himself. And, and in fact, we know from experience, the book of Acts chapter 17, he's going around reading pagan poetry about Zeus or he's wandering through uh, altars and idols and finding one called the unknown God, right? And, and so it, mm -hmm. he's out there in the culture sifting through things that are totally opposed to Christ. And and he's looking for the ways to to speak and connect with those people, Gentiles for him, of course, like they have no context for the gospel. So he starts with things that they know about and and exploits them, right? I mean, he, he quotes Athenian poetry in Acts 17. Probably that was pointed towards Zeus. He certainly wasn't endorsing Zeus, but he was saying, okay, this line and this in this line in this poem, it's right. Let me tell you about the true God. And so like they, mm. it's the same thing for the Christian. It's like there could be a, a mess of a movie or a mess of a story. Something, you know, obviously Barbie and Oppenheimer, biggest movies of the year. It's like, well, I feel like I need to know about them to take a quote from them to start a conversation with somebody that, that they don't know is going to wind up being about Jesus at the end of the conversation. Right? That's, <laughs> that's, right. that's what a Paul would do. And verse seven, right before he says, whatever's pure noble, he says, he says the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. Well, if I'm just managing my content, what am I being guarded from? Hmm. Right. If, if it's all just coming up with a list of, of good don'ts for Christians to do and, I, that, 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 that's the question. And I added this to the book. I added a, 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 an illustration from the movie Moana. Um, hmm. Because in Mo, the, the movie Moana, we see like her people have become uh, stuck on the shores and the harbor because they, mm -hmm. they're safe. We want to stay where it's safe. And she, she realizes that her people have this long tradition of being adventurous seafaring people that are braving those rough waters. And and in fact, to, to save their people because the food supply is running out, that they, they have to be brought to a change. And, mm -hmm. and I'd say Christians, I think, have over the last 50, 60 years tended to prefer creating safe harbors. And I was like, well, that, that certainly applies. I mean, certainly when we're talking about reform youth ministries, like <laughs> for maturing Christians, whether that's by age or by just Christian maturity, I, I, I just had an atheist uh, friend in our church, atheist, 70 years old, just came to Christ. It's like, so he's... Wow. He's starting out where some of some of the youth group kids are, right? I mean, it's so yeah, so it's yeah. not always age, but but certainly there needs to be a safe harbor for developing disciples. Hmm. But Christianity as a community and as a culture should be out there braving the seas, and so that that's hmm. where I the, the common concern is always well we're we're not supposed to. It's like no, the goal is not safe harbor for the entire Christian community. The goal is safe harbor and age appropriate limits. Christian maturity appropriate limits like those are the things but but some of us need to be Pauline some of the mm. some of the disciple makers need to be out amidst the the modern day Gentiles if you will knowing what's mm -hmm. going on and so and so I, I'll acknowledge when somebody like what well, do you think it's safe for kids no I don't think it's safe for kids to watch I'm not sure anybody should be taken I don't I wouldn't recommend any uh five-year-old go see Barbie Unless they have a, <laughs> unless they have a deft, wonderful parent who can really unpack all that for a five-year-old brain, that, <laughs> like that, that's something where I think that you move into the teen years and you have a good youth leader or a, or a good mom and dad who who can have those take and see mm -hmm. conversations, so then they can begin to talk about their classmates with it in healthy ways. Like that, yeah. that's where it begins. So I think that, so I'll give people who are concerned about content. I'll give you credence. There absolutely should be a sheltering within the Christian community for maturing disciples, but but we should be teaching them how to mature. Mm -hmm. like that that's my pushback: is are we teaching them how to mature so that they're not overwhelmed, assaulted, and and drowned with this stuff when they inevitably get it in college or in the workplace, or like someday they're going to be out from that safety net. And that's if right. we haven't trained them to engage in a mature fashion and to actually have those filters of reject, receive, redeem uh, that, then I, that's where I fear we really lose them. And so I, 
that so my gentle pushback to the concern is usually that's that's coming from a place of trying to put a safety net around all of Christendom, and that that's right. that kind of kills evangelism, and I, and I don't <laughs> think it really works. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, James, that that was yes, yeah, so well said. Um, I think that that's excellent. Um, I know we're needing to start wrapping this up, and I, I'd love for Darn. you to. I know, I know. It's like that. there's again yeah. just so much from that last little section that that we could zoom in on. Um, yeah. W- tell our listeners where they can get the new. And again, I'll put links in the show notes, but where they can pick up oh, yeah. a copy of the new book as it releases, and then just kind of any thoughts uh, about you know your, this book, about this discussion as we're kind of wrapping things up. Anything else you'd like to add? Oh uh, yeah, I mean it's. Uh, people can find me uh, pretty regularly. We have a we have a, a sort of a round table of hosts for Popcorn Theology, but popcorntheology.com is a great place just to find our, our weekly podcast if they want to check out or, or just check in there every once in a while to see what movies we're reviewing if it if it mm-hmm. dovetails with one you see or, or want to go see with friends and be able to talk about. Uh, but, but information about the book will be posting on my website, cinemagog.com. And they, people can also find me on Facebook. You just look for James Harleman or on Twitter and Instagram. I'm Harlemanic, not Harlemaniac, Har- Harlemanic. <laughs> uh, and it, it'll be available on Amazon is where we'll primarily be able to see it. But people can go to the website and, and springboard to there and, and grab a copy. Again, November 23rd. And, and I should also, so, and for anybody who maybe already has the first book, yeah, it's got 40 pages of new content. My illustrator wanted to redo all the illustrations, uh, refresh them all added a few things here and there. And, and, uh, and I try to, I, I think I'm stepping on something that's beyond my pay grade, but I'm trying to form, I, I have a proto form of it in the book and that I, I want to make, I, I think there's another philosophical argument for God's existence. And I'm, I'm loosely calling it the story formed argument. And it's, it falls somewhere between the moral argument for God's existence and the teleological argument for God's mm-hmm. existence. But I, I think it's unique enough to have its own. I, I think it might be, I'm, we might need somebody with a few more letters behind their name to really flesh it out that has a passion. So, so any of you who are aspiring uh, you know, MDivs and, and uh, professors of theology, if you want to grab the book and then and one up me, I'd love it. But but I, I think there's a whole philosophical argument that can be made just from the fact that we are lovers and makers of story, kind of by human mm-hmm. nature, that can kind of sort of be used as a springboard to to make an argument for the existence of a creator who's a storyteller. So I, 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 I try to flesh that out a little more in the book, but I also kind of, I have an open call in the book for someone to take it and run with it and do it better than me. So, <laughs> because my next project is actually going to be next year. I'm working on, we should have come Christmas next year, we should have a second book and it's not going to be being go, going that deep, but rather it's, I'm calling it uh, loosely. The title right now is called Cinemagogue the marvelous era and, and that's not marvelous the word marvelous that's the marvel us and it's going to really zero in on the last decade of of superhero cinema which has kind of dominated everything maybe maybe on the wayne now we'll see uh it's maybe on the bruce wayne now but uh but well but also just the surge of franchise or super heroic kinds of characters that have sort of taken over the hollywood scene and and I, and even just that thrust of ongoing and never ending ip and kind of what what influence that's having on on I think culture in a unique and distinct way the last decade, uh, both for good and bad. Like I think there's mm-hmm. some good things. There's some great ways Christians can leverage that as uh, as we talk about the stories we love and the story we love best. But but I, I also think there's some dangers that are a little different that are coming at us the last decade as well. So mm-hmm. going to try to dive into that and give that out next year for people to be checking out as well. So. Uh, so lots of fun. I, I will leave the the heavier lifting to some theology students that that want to run with the philosophical approach. Oh yeah, no, I'm so glad you're you're mentioning the the next book. That does sound interesting, and yeah, look forward to hearing what all you discuss there, as well as the the story argument. That I mean, that sounds fascinating, and maybe something as the the next book comes out, we can get you back on and discuss the contents of that, as well as this uh, concept of, of story. Um, but James, just I want to encourage you again. Thank you for all you're doing to help Christians think deeply about uh, movies. And um, yeah, grateful for your work. And thank you for taking the time to come on the podcast today. Yeah, well, I appreciate the encouragement. And it's it's been a a joy in my life. And one of those areas where where God God took something I loved in the wrong way and 
turned it around and made me repent of all those places and convicted me of, and then taught me how to uh, hopefully be of service to, to the Christian community and, and, and those coming to know him. And so it's been an exciting ride so far and I'm looking forward to where it goes from here. Come and buy without money Oh, come and feast without pay For the King has opened His banquet hall To the beggar, the outcast, and the slave For the King has opened His banquet hall To the beggar, the outcast, and the slave